Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. just be here tonight, Lord, and thank you that it's so fun to serve you, Lord, and you're really a joy, Father, and, and thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength, Lord, and you know, thank you for everyone that's here tonight, Lord, and thank you that we are not here by accident, Father, you've called each and every one of us here, Lord, and thank you that you are sovereign, Lord, and thank you that you are in control, Father, of everything, Lord, and I just pray tonight, Lord, that as we speak on this topic, Lord, of prayer in the heart, Lord, that you know, you're really just working hearts tonight, Lord, and also pray, Father, for or just a guard, Lord, against any condemnation that might come from the enemy, Lord. But thank you for the conviction that you bring, Lord. And thank you that it leads us closer to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool, guys. So we're currently busy with a sermon series called Face to Face. And tonight's topic is prayer and the heart. So me and Werner, we did a double. He preached this morning. I'm preaching tonight. And then next week, we'll swap around. He'll preach the same sermon he preached this morning at the evening service. And I'll preach this one at the morning service. If you're not here and you would really like to catch it, you can get it online on Apple Podcasts. Our sermons are on there if you want to, to listen to it. And today we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. The first one is found in Jeremiah 29. You know, that is where the famous verse comes from. You know, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You know, we, we all know that verse. Anything Christian almost has that verse up in front of it. So we're going to take a look at the context where that verse is. And what it teaches us about prayer, the second passage is, but it's not going to be the main passage, Jeremiah 29 is going to be the main passage, is Zechariah 13, and from verse 1 to 8, you can write that down if you want to. If you want to go and read through that at, uh, at your house, we're just going to have a small portion of it. And the two passages are actually very similar, and it links quite closely together. So just to give you a bit of context, in Jeremiah 29, the Israelites are in captivity in Babylon. You know, God has sent Nebuchadnezzar to come and take the Israelites out of their country because of idolatry in their hearts, because they do not worship God for who he is, and because they oppress the poor. So he's taken them out of their country. They find themselves in Babylon, and what has happened is there's false prophets that has prophesied in the name of Jesus that God is going to deliver them within two years. He's going to send them back home. So they're happy and they're praying to God because of the wonderful thing that God is going to do for them. In fact, God said it's not going to be so they're going to be there 70 years. Then the passage in Zechariah is where the Israelites are now back in Jerusalem, 20 years after the captivity in Babylon. And again, God says to them that he's about to remove them from their land. He's about to send persecution because they have again turned away their hearts from him and they are busy seeking him for the wrong reasons. You know, and that sounds a bit harsh, but that is us as, as mankind. We do that. You know, I read it to my wife as well, and she says, yeah, that's us. That's mankind. We do that. We see God when difficult times come, and the moment it goes well with us, we turn our hearts away from God until difficult times comes again. And just before we dig into the passage, we're busy with a sermon series on prayer, and many times when you know, we speak about prayer or a sermon series about prayer comes up, I feel very convicted because... It just shows again, you know, how little I know actually about prayer. You know, and as Christians also, mainly most Christians only know that we should pray. You know, that, that, that is where I found myself in a, in a large amount of time in my life as well. I only know that I should pray. I know that's some benefits to pray. But that's actually where, where, where it kind of ends. 
And we know that we should pray, and, and that's kind of where it ends. And tonight, I quickly just want to speak about, you know, prayer in the heart. Prayer is a large topic, and there's much about it. But today, I just want to speak about the heart of prayer and how it actually reveals our hearts. So just to ask you the question, why do you pray? If you can just ask that to yourself, you know, why do you pray? You know, and we, we pray as a church, we should pray a lot, and we should see God continue in the answer. It should be an easy answer to the question. The reason why I pray is A, B, and C. And then the second question that I would like to ask us is, what do you mostly pray for? Another question that you can ask yourself is, who do you mostly pray for? And when we answer these questions that I've just asked, it reveals something about ourselves and about our hearts. The reason that we pray, the things that we pray for, and the people that we pray for. It has a revealing effect on our hearts. You know, prayer has such a revealing effect. And I know it's always awkward whenever we, say we had small group or at intercession and, and we're busy praying. And uh, you say to the people, yes, just before we start and pray, you know, prayer says so much about someone. You know, you can really see their heart. You can really see their character when they pray. Let's quickly pray together. You know, you can see almost as if we're busy praying, you know, but there's a bit of awkwardness because all of a sudden, everybody's thinking when he prays, you know, what, what, does this, what does this say about me? Because this guy just said that prayer reveals my heart. Now I'm busy praying, you know, what's he noticing? And it's like when psychologists ask you all kinds of weird questions, you know, if you have an elephant and he's in the back of your room, what do you give him when you wake up in the morning? Like, yeah, I don't know. And then, oh, interesting. And then they make a note. And then they just look at you, you know, you get that kind of weird feeling. When, sim- when someone says something like that, and I can say a lot about you when you pray. Let's pray together. It's going to be a bit awkward. So I'm, I'm excited for Monday. It's going to be one of those, those awkward prayers tomorrow because, you know, it reveals our hearts. And where I'm going with this is just to say that prayer reveals the heart. It refines the heart and it compels the heart to action. That is the points that I'm going to make throughout the sermon and that is what we're going to take a look at. So let's just go to the first scripture and just start reading this together. And this is just after the prophet Anain has come and said that the Lord is going to deliver them for two years. They're very glad. But then Jeremiah comes and says that it will not be so. Actually says that Anai is going to die. He dies within six months. And he says that they're going to stay there for 70 years. And this is where we find this passage. So let's read together. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile. And to the priests, the prophets, and to the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Yochanai and the queen's mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Eliza, the son of Zephar, the son of Hamari, and the son of Hekai. If you're looking for names for your children, there are a couple if you want to choose some of them. Whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, it said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they might be sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, 
For in each welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not, do not let the prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they have prophesied to you in my name. I did not send them, declare the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I've sent you into exile. So now we see, you know, that that famous passage of scripture actually finds itself in a bit of an uncomfortable circumstance. You know, it's not when everything is going great. We declare that, you know, we know the plans that God has for us for welfare and prosperity, future and hope. No, but it's when they're driven out of their own country, they're in captivity where they don't want to be, and the people have actually plundered their cities, taken the goods out of the temple, and that is where they find themselves. And so we're going to take a look at what this passage has to say about prayer. So if we can go to the next slide. Jeremiah 29, verse 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me, with all your heart. You know, so that, that we see in Jeremiah you know, that God is busy saying that when we seek Him with all our hearts, you know, not just a little part of our heart or, or some bit of our heart, but when we seek Him with all our hearts, we will be, He will be found by us. You know, we will find God and He will listen to our prayers. And that is a pure heart drawing near to God. You know, the greatest commandment is to love God with our, all our hearts, our soul, our mind and our strength. You know, so what God is busy saying there is, when you draw near to me with a pure heart, then you will find me. You know, then, I, then I will listen to you when you call upon my name. And that is what, what we are called to do, you know. And when a, a heart that everything in it seeks God, you know, it's not a heart that seeks something from God. It is a heart that seeks God himself for who he is, not for what he can give. You know, so that, that is what God is busy saying there. And then by definition, if we can see God, you know, He desires for us to seek Him with all of our hearts, and there's a place where we can only seek Him with certain parts of our hearts. You know, and that is a sinful heart that draws near to God, not a pure heart. And it's a heart that seeks something from God. You know, like the Israelites that find themselves in captivity in Babylon, they're not seeking God because He is God. They are seeking God because He is able to deliver them from Babylonian captivity. That is why they are seeking God. The reason they are not in Jerusalem is because they did not see God while it was going good with them. You know, and from the beginning, when Israel was slaves in Egypt and God sent them out to the promised land and they wandered the wilderness and before they sent them in, He actually told them, do not forget me when you enter the promised land. Because in the desert, you, you kind of have to remember God because nothing, there's nothing. You know, there's no water. There's nothing to eat. You are dependent upon God for everything. You know, but what is funny is when they enter the promised land, it's still God that makes the grapes grow. It's still God that makes the cattle live in the field. It's still God that makes the grass come up. It's still God that gives the rain. But all of a sudden, they lose their dependency upon God. 
and they don't see God anymore because they're not so dependent as they were in the wilderness as they are in the desert. You know, because now there's things around them, you know, that they don't need God that much. It doesn't literally need to rain bread every morning or manna. It's kind of a seed that you needed to, 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 to rub together and then make breads and stuff with. So it's not physically bread that falls from heaven, but they were dependent on God in a, in a real sense. You know, and many times we, we do the same thing. You know, there's, there's parts of our heart that seek God and there's, there's parts of our heart that, that does not. You know, I really desire for God to come through in certain areas of my life, but, but I don't want God to touch other areas. You know, that is, that is kind of off limits. And, 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 and you know, like, like Robin said, you know, that is mankind. When it goes really bad with us and we really need for God, then we start to pray and we start to see God. But when things are starting to go good again, we, we kind of drift away from God. You know, and even myself, I was so convicted while preparing the sermon because every time I need to prepare something, you know, a sermon or a small group teaching or Bible school or encounter one, then all of a sudden the amount of time I spend in prayer elevates. It gets more. Because I know now that I'm dependent on God for something. I'm going to stand here in front of a couple of people and I'm going to say something and I really trust God that he would carry me through this and that he would give me the words to say and that he would bring a message across. But when tomorrow comes and I know that there's no message to preach that week, then all of a sudden my prayer life dims down a bit. And it just shows that I'm not that dependent upon God in my everyday life as I am now standing in front of you. And that actually just also shows a sinful heart, you know, because in my everyday life, I'm, I'm not performing in front of people. So I'm not going to pray that much. But when I'm standing in front of people, then, then I'll pray. And it really convicted me, you know, and I had to confess my sins to God and I had to repent before Him. But I'm sure like mankind, I will do that again and have to repent before God again. You know, and just to say tonight that as we go through this, please don't feel condemned. You know, the devil brings condemnation and says, look how sinful you are. You can draw near to God. All of us will initially draw near with the sinful hearts. And if we can just go to the next slide, just to, to show you know, that what we speak to people and to God really reveals our hearts. We read in Luke 6, verse 45, the good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You see, this is what we say to God and we say to men. The things that we speak about, those are the things that's in our hearts. You know, we, we, who knows someone that has rugby in his heart? Come on, let me see some hands. They just chat about rugby. And, and that is what Vian is and there at the back. Thank you, Vian. And they really like rugby. You know, someone maybe, uh, this, is a, this is a good one. Let me think about myself, you know, my lovely wife. I have to mention it in the beginning because I love my wife. You know, and if I really love my wife, then obviously I will speak about her. And uh, maybe, so Jacobus, when, when he gets a girlfriend you know, and he really likes her, man, he's, he's going to speak about her. He's going to tell all his friends, maybe show a picture. You know, because these are the things that we're excited about, you know, and these are the things that our heart cares about. So we speak about them. You know, and people that complain maybe all the time, who knows, someone like that. Nobody. Okay, you, you know good people. Vian, there. Yeah, back again. Thank you, Vian. You're really supporting me up here in front. And those people have bitterness in their hearts. 
you know, and, and harden harden. That is why they complain the whole time. Because what is in your heart will inevitably come out. And the same is true for when we draw near to God. And you know, maybe you've heard someone saying they're going through a rough time or they're speaking to you about certain things or they act in a certain way. And, and you just want to help them and say, hey man, I'm here for you. Or I really want to pray for you because I see that you're seeking God maybe for the wrong motives or, or the way that you're living. Is, is not, but they'll say, oh, you don't know my heart. You don't know what's in my heart. Like, no, we just spend time together. I've listened to what you've said. I know what's in your heart. Because scripture says what the heart is full of, the mouth will speak. So inevitably, we all walk around with our hearts on our sleeves. Because as we speak, we are revealing our hearts to the people around us and to God. Because what the heart is full of, the mouth will speak. Inevitably. And I'm just to explain our hearts. So, like I asked in the beginning here, what do you pray for? Why do you pray? Who do you pray for most? And what do you pray for most? Because these things will reveal our hearts. For example, if there's something that I really desire, I will pray about that thing. I'll bring that before God because I really desire that. Or if there's really something that I want to do, I will bring that before God. And maybe it's a good thing. I'm not saying that all of our hearts are very sinful and it needs to be a bad thing. No, maybe your heart is crying out every morning, Lord, I just want to be with you. I want to experience your presence. I want to know the will that you have for my life. And that, that's a great thing. And when our hearts are in that place, it shows that that is the desires of our hearts. But if I continually only pray for my future husband, for my future wife, and that is the only thing I do, then that is an idol in my life. You know, that is, that is something that my heart has shifted to a place that it desires something more than it desires God. Because this is the only thing I pray for. You know, and we've seen it a lot Someone coming into church, praying for this one thing, they're seeking God for this one thing, and the moment they get it, they're gone. But luckily, as we also draw near with God, with some sinful hearts, and initially we all will do this, you know, we'll come to God with, with a sinful heart because we have a sinful nature, and only God can restore that. So inevitably, initially, it is a sinful heart drawing near. God comes and He changes our hearts as we draw near with our sinful hearts. So that's why I say don't feel condemned, you know, we all do that. We all draw near with, with a sinful hearts. Another place where prayer reveals our hearts is in the area of trust, faith, and dependence. You see, if I really have faith that God is able to do something in a certain area, I will pray for that area. You know, because um, Wayne Grudem, he says something so beautiful. He says that prayer does not inform God of our needs. It expresses our faith in God. You know, God, He knows what we need. You know, Scripture says that. Before we ask Him, He knows what we need. And what prayer does, it doesn't inform God. You know, He's not sleeping in heaven and all of a sudden He hears someone's praying and He wakes up, oh, shucks. Jacobus needs this and that. I, I completely forgot I was asleep there. Thank you for informing me, Jacobus. I'll get right on that. Send a couple of angels to bring you some bread and a, and a bikey because it's cold outside. No, God knows what we need. And what happens is we don't inform God. We express our faith in God as we pray. Lord, you need to come through for me in this area. Or even, Lord, I want to draw near to you. Please draw me near to yourself because even that I struggle with to do on my own. So prayer expresses our faith in God. So whatever area in your life that you continually pray about, you trust, have faith, and depend God for. The similar is true for a lack of prayer. You know, if we have a lack of prayer in certain areas of our life, it's because we either don't trust God 
we have a lack of care for that area, and we'll get to that in a moment. You know, but if I don't pray for certain areas of my life, it's that I maybe don't have faith in those areas for God to work and to move. Yeah, because if I say I believe in God and I trust that God is the one who is almighty and all-powerful, then obviously I will pray to God for every area in my life. So a lack of prayer could point maybe to a lack of faith, a lack of trust, lack of dependence. And a lot of prayer in that area, a lot of trust, a lot of dependence on God. And then also surrender. You know, it shows where our hearts are really surrendered to God and where it's not surrendered to God. You know, does my prayer life look like, Lord, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? What is the next step you want me to take? You know, when I prepare my sermon, is it, Lord, what's on your heart for, for your people, Lord? What do you want me to, to say to them, Lord? What is the passage of scripture that you want me to preach about? Because that shows surrender. You know, be, before you apply for a job, do you pray or after? You know, because many times we do the opposite. And I've decided, Jeremiah 29, Lord, I'm going to preach on 20, Jeremiah 29. Please come and bless it. That's not surrender. That is asking God to come and do something that I want to do. Lord, we're moving to Pretoria. May it be a blessed time. You know, I'm, I'm informing God where I want to go. Lord, this girl, ooh, I'm going to date this girl. Lord, I know she doesn't believe in you, but I know you're going to turn her heart around. That is informing God. Not praying before the time, Lord, is, is this the right relationship that you've sent across my path? Before we move to Pretoria, Lord, where do you want me to go? And when the opportunity comes, I know, okay, this is, this is the path God has for my life because I've been praying a long time and I know that God wants to send me there. You've spoken to me about this. You've said he's going to send me to Pretoria. Here comes the job of an easy choice. But we many times find ourselves you know, in this comfort and relaxed mode and we're not really praying about our future or where God wants to send us because everything's fine. You know, I have no need. All of a sudden, a job offer comes out of nowhere. Yes, and we're fasting two days and we're reading the Bible some extra time and we're praying because now we all of a sudden we want to know where God wants to send us. But if we did that initially... There would have been no reason for that because we already know where God is sending us. We already surrendered to God's will. And we already know where he's leading us. And then the last point before we, we, we make that point is it also share, shows us where our heart really cares about certain areas or where we have a love for certain things. If we care for the lost, for the people who do not know God, if we care for the body of Christ sitting in the church, then we will pray for them. You know, what we care for, we will pray for if we have faith in God. So again, I said, either no trust or no care or love. If I don't pray for my marriage, I either don't have faith that God can work in my marriage or I don't care about my marriage. Or a third option might be, oh, I think I can do it in my own strength. That's maybe a bit more, more worrisome. So if I don't pray for my marriage, I'm either saying to God, Lord, I can do this on my own or I don't really care about it. I don't trust that you can move in my marriage. Same is true for our jobs, for our relationships, for our children. The things that we care about, if we don't pray for this area, it's that we don't have faith in God, or it just shows that we don't care about them. If we care for the lost out there, we'll be on our knees for those people, the people that you work with, for your family members that haven't come to meet God. We'll pray for them, if there's love, and care for them. And we have faith that God can work. 
It also shows that whether we are praying to please God, you know, live a life that wants to please God, or for the praises of people. You know, if I only pray in public, I'm living for the praises of people. You know, like Werner said last week. If I pray in private, where no one sees me, I'm trying to live a life pleasing unto God. Can you see that? Our prayer reveals our hearts. The reasons why we pray. The things that we pray about. All the things that we don't pray about. How that reveals our hearts. That takes us to the first point. Prayer reveals our hearts. You know, just again to say, you know, that if you're seeing, you know, that your heart's not in that great place, don't worry, because we all initially draw near with that heart. And there's this great illustration um, that Ravi Zacharias used, and in 1940s in USA, they wanted to remove prayer from schools in the USA. And the one guy said, as long as there are math tests, there will be prayer in schools. Come on, who's with me there? I was one of those as well. Yes, there's a lot of ads now all of a sudden. That is true. I didn't study. I get there. I know that I cannot do this. Lord, help. Please get me through this test. And I was not saved. They were with me in school. These people sitting here, they'll tell you. I did not know God. But I prayed when the math test came. You know, and what is funny, we always promised God, Lord, next time I'll study. Next time, just this one time, Lord, carry me through. And I know I said it last time as well, but this time I'm for real. Just this one time. If you carry me through this test, I'll study for the next one. But that is our hearts. Drawing near to God. And then when the math test passed and I get my result, whether I failed or passed, no more prayer until the next math test. And, uh, you know, in World War II, a lot of guys also wrote, you know, they go to war and they express their faith in God. And, you know, the people's like, hey, why are you guys so chilled? And they're like, no, we believe in God. So if we die, it's not really a bad thing. That's actually a benefit of war. Going to to be with Jesus for eternity in heaven. That's a great thing. So we're not really scared to die. And they would laugh at these guys and mock them for their faith in Jesus. But when the bombs start to fall, even the unbelievers called out to God, Lord, save us. Not to go to heaven, just from the bombs. And that just expresses our hearts. You know, if, if times like that come and we don't know what to do, whether it's a bomb or a math test, you can decide which one's worse. You'll cry out to God. Because he needs to help us. And just also to give us an application here for this point. Examine your prayer life as you go, or, or maybe the lack of it. And as you go through this week, really note why are you praying? What are you praying for? And who are you praying for? And what's the reasons for that? And if you see maybe that your heart's in a real good place, thank God because it's only by the grace of God. And if you see it's not that great place, bring those areas before God so that he can renew your heart. And that is the second point where we're going to work to tonight. And you know, maybe you realize tonight, even as you're just sitting here, that your heart's not in that great space. You, know, you don't really feel like a righteous person or, or someone that's being heart. And in 1 Peter 3 verse 12, we read that the Lord listens to the prayers of the righteous, but his face is turned away from the wicked. And then in Psalm 24 verse 2, and three, it writes, you know, who will ascend the hill of the Lord and who will stand in his holy place? Meaning, who, who can draw near to God? Who can stand in his presence? And then the psalmist writes, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And maybe tonight you're realizing, okay, but that's not me. So what, what should I do? 
should I stop praying until I've, you know, purified myself because, you know, God only listens to the prayers of the righteous. So what does it help me drawing near to God or me praying if God is not going to listen to my prayers? You see, and that is the great thing. The very thing that the enemy, and that's a great lie that the enemy has devised and told people, you know, you first need to sort yourself out before you can go to God, knowing that God is the only one that can sort us out. Come on, that's a great lie. Because if we wait until we are feel in a, in a right place, you know, I feel righteous enough, or I feel like I've done a lot of good things so that I can go to God, I'll never go to God. Because we are sinful in our nature and we cannot purify ourselves. Only God can do that. You know, and that is what happens through prayer as well. And again, that is why we don't need to feel ashamed tonight if we feel that our hearts are not in a great place or when we feel we're really seeking God for the wrong reasons because we all initially have. With the panel sessions at um, Relationship Month, Stephanie sitting here in front, she shared a testimony and she said, when my sister got really sick, then my mother started seeking God in a deep way and the whole family followed. Do you see there? It's not wrong to seek God because your sister is sick, but to start then, you know, just shows again to that idolatry in our hearts. We're seeking something from God. Lord, my child is sick. Really help me here. You know, we're not drawing near because of the heart of God in the first place. We, we're seeking his hands. And all of us initially, it works like that in some way. None of us sat in that beautiful, perfect lives and we just realized, oh man, Jesus is so good. I want to follow, I want to follow him. You know, God is the one that draws us near. And then my brother's example, girlfriend left, business, wasn't at a great place, started crying out to God. You know, me, I was addicted to drugs, caught in pornography, alcohol abuse. Didn't know where to go at the end of my rope. Then I called out to God. Not because I realized when life was perfect, God is good. But I had no place to go. And for some of us, God sends those trials of our lives to purify our hearts. And we'll look at that in a moment. But I just want to say before I go there, that if you went through something like a divorce, it's not God that, that did that. God does not send you through a divorce. You know, that is just the effects of sin in our lives. God doesn't send evil stuff over our paths or things that he's against to refine us through the fire. He does send hardship over our paths to test us and to refine us, to build our faith in him. But whenever, you know, you ask, you know, did God really do this, this, and this? God doesn't do evil things to his children. He disciplines us. He sends hard times to test us, but not things that is against his will. So just, just, just to make that point. So if we can go to the next slide. Zechariah 13, verse 8 and 9. 20 years after, these same Israelites are back into their own land. And again, they're busy worshiping idols. And God says he's going to remove some of them from their land. Some of them is already gone. Some of them are unfortunately going to die. And others will remain. But look at what God is going to do with them. It says there, it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. And look at the effect of this. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. You see, this is God himself sending that trial and tribulations over their path, sending hardships over their path, you know, taking them through the fire, 
so that they can call on his name. You know, and there was a time I thought, yo, this is, this is not great. This doesn't sound like the God who is love. You know, maybe there's someone here tonight who thinks, who thinks that's a bit harsh. You know, for God to send trials and tribulations over our path. Thank you, Pauline, there at the media desk. It sounds a bit harsh for God to send these things over our paths, but let me tell you tonight that it is the most gracious and the most loving thing that God can do because the effect of that is I'm calling on his name. What if God never sent the fire and you never called on his name? That would be an unkind thing for God to do. And even as we read through the book of Job, like Chris also shared, we think, yo, this guy served God and look at the stuff that he goes through. You know, is, is, is that fair? And that sounds harsh. But it is a gracious thing when God removes the things we have so that we can see what we have in Christ alone. It is one of the most gracious things God can do. And I, I'm, I'm even willing to pray, Lord, anything, send anything across my path if it would cause me to call upon your name in a deeper way. For me to know you more, for me to be with you, and for me to be with you in eternity. And that is why the Bible says, the present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the prize and the joy that we will find in Christ when we spend eternity with Him in heaven. It's not worth comparing. It's a gracious thing for God to do. You know, and again, God says He will do this to them so that they can call upon His name. And what's funny is God did, did the same thing 20 years back. They just came back from captivity. Some of them called on His name. Some of them really believed some of them didn't. The moment God gave what he promised, they again fell away from God. And God says, don't worry, I'll send another fire. And it doesn't sound too comforting. But it comforts me in a way. You know, knowing that whenever I drift away from God, God will always draw me back. Whether it's sending stuff over my path or not. But I know that God will draw me back. And I want to say to us tonight, as mature Christians, you know, that, that follow God, let's not wait for the fire to come before we call on his name. Let's not wait for God to intervene and send stuff over our lives to, to take us into a deeper relationship with Him. Let's draw near from the beginning. I'm not saying that that is going to escape. Let us escape the fire. The fire will come. The testing of our faith will come, but it will be much easier when we've already drawn near to God. We already know His character. We already know the plans He has for our lives. And when tri that tribulation and trials come, it's much easier than figuring that out in the midst of all that turmoil and hardship. But we will do that nonetheless. And the reason why the fire you know, refines our, our hearts as we draw near to God in prayer, because the scripture says in Malachi 3 verse 2, that God is like a refiner's fire and a fowler's soap. You know, he is like a refiner's fire. As we draw near to God, we start to be transformed. You know, we read in, um, I think it's 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, that as we behold God with unveiled faces, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, which is the Spirit. As we spend time with God, as we draw near to Him in prayer, we become like Him. And then it speaks there about unveiled faces when Moses went up on, onto the mountain in the Old Testament and he spent time in the presence of God. When he came down, his face shone. You know, that's why, um, that's why he didn't need a a headlamp coming down the mountain. Maybe that's just something practical. You know, God saying, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll supply the light. Because it would have been nice if he tripped, you know, it was dark. 
And so his face literally shone, and then he would wrap his face in cloth again so that the Israelites didn't see that the shine was fading away as he was spending no more time in the presence of God. Because we have unlimited access to the presence of God. They did not. You know, and we really, we become holy and God refines our hearts as we draw near to him, even with sinful hearts. God comes and he draws near. So look what happens when we draw near to, to God in prayer. Read in 1 John 1 verse 9, this is when we come to God and confess our sinfulness before him in prayer. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then this for me, it's a beautiful verse. The verse just before it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We, will all, we all have sin and we all will have sin until Christ comes back. And we all will draw near to God with sinful hearts. Not always, but a lot of times. We did that initially and we will do that a lot in the future. And, and that's something that we, we need to know. And ask God that as we draw near with that heart to purify us from all unrighteousness, you know, he's the one that cleanses us as we draw near to him in prayer. And it's a beautiful thing because God knows we all have sin. He knows we all fall short. And he says, don't worry, I've made a way through Jesus Christ coming to die for us on the cross. Everything points back to the gospel, by the way. Through Jesus that made a way. We can draw near to Christ and he can cleanse us of all righteousness. And you see, this is something that, that David knew. And there's actually a, a good quote by C.H. Spurgeon. He says that holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. We can't make ourselves holy and then draw near to God. God is the one that makes us holy as we draw near to him, just as we are. You see, David knew this. This psalm that we find here, Psalm 51, verse 10, is just after David's cycle of sin with, with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. And David writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, he's professing that faith in Christ. Lord, I am not able to do that. I'm not able to give myself a, a clean heart or a steadfast spirit. Please, Lord, come and work that in me. And again, that didn't eliminate the effects of that sin in David's life. You can go and read 2 Samuel 12 to 24. The effects of that sin still remained and it was harsh in David's life. And a lot of bad things happened and God warned him that that will happen because that is the effects of sin, death, destruction, violence. But he walked that road with God, with a heart that is cleansed, with a steadfast spirit, to walk alongside God as God takes him through that difficult time, through that fire, through that trials. That takes us to point number two. Prayer refines our hearts. And this for me is such a beautiful thing. You know, as we read in 1 Peter 3 verse 12, that God's prayers are open to the, to, to the righteous. You know, he listens to the prayers of the righteous. So God knows that we cannot in of ourselves draw near with righteous hearts. So what he says is, if you come with your sinful hearts and you confess your sin to me, I will make you righteous so that when you call upon me, I will answer you. Isn't that beautiful? God's saying that with your sinful heart, I will make you righteous because my character demands that I only listen to prayers of a righteous heart so I will give you one so that when you call upon me I will listen to you that is beautiful that is the love the grace and the kindness of God and it, it overwhelms my heart and yeah thanks for God because if he did not do that none of us would be able to draw near none of us would be, would be able to draw near to God and again just the application you know as we see these areas of our lives that 
that's seeking God for wrong reasons or the sinfulness in our hearts. Let's bring these areas to God. Confess our sins. Let Him cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And when we feel that we can draw near to God, pray to God to, to renew our hearts. Cleanse our hearts, Lord. Give me a steadfast spirit so that I might draw near to You. He's the only one that's, that's able to do that. And then also, you know, to, to know that, how do I now know that I, I'm drawing near to God and that He's busy refining my heart and, you know, causing my heart to, to change, you know, as I seek Him. And the way we can gauge whether we are drawing near to God in such a way is there will be an effect in the way we live. You know, what we say and what we do will change as God changes our hearts. And just to show you in this next part, this part speaks specifically about salvation the moment we come to God. It's initial sanctification, but then the sanctification takes place till Christ comes back. But it says in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 to 27, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone, the heart that has no compassion, no love, no regard for the people around them, not seeking the welfare of the people around them, and not seeking God. And I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You see, when God comes and He changes our hearts, He changes the way we live our lives. You know, that is why... Paul writes to Titus in Titus 3 verse 7 that those who have believed in God, let them be careful to devote themselves to good works. Because as we draw near to God, as we say we believe in God, that should change our hearts, which in turn should change the way we live our lives. We're not saved because of works, but when we are saved, it leads to good works as God works in and through us to change our hearts around us. You know, and we cannot say that, yes, we have pure hearts, but there's no pure deeds following you know, if you hear what, what I'm saying, that's the way that we can gauge ourselves. The things that flow from our lives, we can also see what's the condition of our hearts. And we read in Colossians 3 verse 10, and it says, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And that knowledge speaks about an intimate knowing. You know, as we learn to know God, we become more like him, as he is the one that changes us into his being. So that is what happens when God renews our hearts. Just to then say, you know, this heart of flesh speaks about a heart of love, a heart of compassion for the people around us. You know, it's, it's no longer that heart of stone that only cares for me, myself, and I, which also our prayer lives reveal. If I only pray for myself, and only when it goes tough with me, then I only care about myself. I never pray for the people around me. I never pray for the lost. Then we need to ask God to come and give us this heart of flesh that has compassion, that has love. Because Jesus had this heart heart of care for the people around him and look what it led him to say to his disciples and to pray we read this in matthew 9 verse 36 37 and 38 i see the i i made one slide the same verse 37 and 38 is the same but i'll just tell you what verse 38 says it says when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the, to the harvest field. And this is such a cool passage of scripture for me, you know, that heart of Jesus. This is where everything starts, the heart. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. And he said, pray. Pray to the Lord that someone would go and reach these people. 
that people would go and as they are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, they would go and proclaim the good news that you have a shepherd that cares for you. And that is God, that is Jesus. He came to die for your sins. All starts at the heart of Jesus. You know, and when God comes and refines our heart, and that is a little slogan we have as the church as well, it would lead us to love God, love people, and reach the world. Because we will pray for that. And that takes us to the last point. Prayer compels our hearts to action. You know, and this is also a way to gauge us whether we're really spending time with God in prayer or not, whether we're really in the presence of God or not. There will always be a sending out from the presence of God. You know, there are many times there's this weird thing that the world has taught us and that there's times when we should spend time at the feet of God and at the feet of Jesus, really just praying to Him and reading the Bible. And there, there are times like that, but then they said there's a separate time when we should go out, preach the gospel, reach the world, and then when we get tired, we go back to God's feet, but that's not true. We read in John 10, and God says that He's the Good Shepherd, and He says that those who hear my voice... They come to me. Then they become my flock. And as, when I bring all of my flock together, they hear my voice and I lead them out. Jesus is the one that leads us out. When we are in the presence of God, He will always lead us out. And it says in Mark 3 verse 13, that He chose 12 apostles to be with Him and so that He could send them out to preach. When being with Jesus, there will always be a sending out to preach. There will always be a going out. We'll always compel our hearts to action. And what's so crazy for me is, you know, when... You first read this passage and Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You expect the next words, go, go into the harvest field. But the, the answer to the magnitude of the harvest is not to go, but to pray. Because God knows if we don't pray and we go, we will get discouraged and there will be little fruit because God is not in that. But when we pray to God, there will always be a sending out. We will, never, we will get discouraged, we will get tired, but as we continue in prayer, we will continually go out. As it rejuvenates us, as we have that heart for the lost, as it changes our hearts, it compels our hearts to action. And Paul actually writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, it says, the love of Christ compels us. As they spend time with Jesus and they're just overwhelmed by the fact that as I draw near with a sinful heart, God purifies that so that when I call upon him, he can listen to me. I'm so overwhelmed by that love of God that it compels me to go out and tell the world about that. As God changes my heart, I'm going to go out and reach the world. And I really encourage us to, to pray to that as well. You know? And if you see you know, you're in this place where you're not really compelled to go out, pray to God and ask Him to give you a heart for the lost and to send you out into the labor field. Because if you pray that God would send people out to reach the world, you'll most likely be the first one that he sends from that prayer. You're the one that's going to go out and reach the lost. And on that point, let's stand and pray tonight. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can just come before you tonight, Lord. Just come and say thank you, Father. Thank you that you are really a gracious God, Lord, a loving God and a kind God, Lord. And we just confess, Lord, that we will inevitably, Lord, at times draw near, Lord, with sinful hearts, Father. But we just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are the one that refines our hearts, Lord. You are the one that cleanses us, Lord, from all righteousness so that when we call upon you, Lord, 
you listen to us. You respond, Lord. You draw near. You come close, Lord. You deliver us, Father. And thank you, Lord, that we can also come to you, Lord, and, and tell you about the needs that we have, Lord. Expression of faith to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you supply our each and every need, Lord. And we also just repent for the times where we look past that, Lord, and fail to see your goodness, Lord, in each and every area of our lives. And we just want to come and say thank you, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you just come and reveal to us, Lord, what a privilege and a responsibility it is to pray, Lord. Thank you that you call us, Lord, to partner with you, Father, to see your kingdom come and your will be done. And I just ask, Lord, that as we draw near, Lord, come and refine our hearts. And lead us to a place, Lord, where we won't wait till the fire comes, Lord. But we'll bring our hearts to you, Lord, before that. We call upon you, Lord, to say that you are our God, Lord. Not only the one who, who delivers us. Not only the one that supplies our needs. Not only the good shepherd that makes us lie down beside green pastures, Lord. But you are our God, Lord. You are the one that we desire and you're the one that we want to be with, Lord. And also just come and pray, Lord, that... You just come and stir our hearts, Lord, to action, Father. As we draw near to you, Lord, may we always be sent out, Father. And as we sit, Lord, and spend time with you and experience, Lord, the sweetness of your presence, Lord, may we know that there's people out there that have not experienced that, Lord. They don't know what it feels like to worship you, Lord. Experience your goodness and sit in your presence, Father. They are anxious, Lord, about everything in life because they don't know you, Father, as the one that supplies 